0: This is play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys. By I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a
1: bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for
0: him. Now here's the host of Play-By-Play Cast, Todd Bodette. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godette. Joe Godette. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Mike, 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 guess what day it is? I feel like the camel. Or I don't even remember. Is that a Geico commercial? Guess what day it is? Not really day. Guess what season it is? It is football season. Ball State football officially opened up camp yesterday. I know NFL camps have been open for... I don't know how long NFL camps have been open. They've been open. Different world. Kind of kind of in our own little universe sometimes. But uh, Ball State football camp opened up yesterday. And uh, I, I don't know how many days until the season starts. But it's about three weeks. Three and a half weeks. September 2nd. You can do the math in there. I don't know how many days August has. Otherwise, it'd be easier. So we're off to a rousing start. Welcome back into Play by Playcast, everybody. As promised football talk for the next couple of weeks actually and I'm really excited for our first guest to kick off our football season countdown I guess you could say here on play-by-play cast uh Bob Sosi is the voice of the New England Patriots he has been uber fortunate uh in his time with the Patriots having already been to uh, a Super Bowl calling a Super Bowl championship he has been to the AFC title game a couple of other times uh Things have gone well, relatively speaking. You know, some people may have deflated some footballs. They may not have deflated some footballs. We really don't know. I don't know if we ever will. He wasn't involved in that, but he got to be in the storm around it. Uh, We don't get into that here on the podcast. But uh, needless to say, Bob's gotten to cover a lot of really cool things, a lot of really cool people. And uh, let's be honest, he's in the NFL they could go 0-16. It would probably still be pretty cool. Uh, and Bob is a really good broadcaster and, more importantly, a really good guy. Bob and I have known each other since I was a uh, a young buck, as if I'm not still. My first job out of college in the International League when I was, like, the number eight broadcaster for the Buffalo Bisons, and he was with the Norfolk Tides. Uh, Bob and I had a chance to talk for a long time, actually, uh, in a dugout. I think it was in Norfolk. We were just talking in the dugout for like an hour before the game. Uh, and Bob has been uh, really good to me since then. So thrilled we can get Bob Sosi here on the podcast. And I'm actually uh, excited about this discussion. This is a, a conversation that went in a lot of different ways. And I think because of that, uh, it should be very interesting to all of you as well. But as we uh, often start off with these podcasts, uh, we dive right into the Cliff Notes of the Career. It's not the sexiest title, but it kind of has an alliteration to it. Cliff Notes of the Career. That's where we'll start uh, with Bob Soce. And uh, Bob, I know it's been a long road, but give us the Cliff Notes uh, that got you to being the voice of the New England Patriots. <laughs> well,
1: the Cliff Notes are pretty thick, let me tell you, Joel. Um... <laughs> I'm not sure how long you allow for on this podcast. It's a podcast, but we can go all day. <laughs> well, we may be here all day, so so, so buckle up. Uh, you know, it, for me, it goes back to like I'm sure most broadcasters, if not all, that you've had on your podcast or, or that we all encounter in our careers, to being a young kid dreaming of being an announcer. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly had my. Uh, visions of someday playing in the major leagues, but uh, the reality quickly set in for me uh, in, in my baseball career. But even as I was playing and pursuing that major league dream as a little leaguer back in central New York in the town of Auburn, New York, I was, Uh, cutting my teeth honestly behind a microphone Uh, i had an opportunity thanks to some really wonderful people that took an interest in me and and what they thought was a gift even at the age of 11 or 12 uh, to pull double duty i would play a little league baseball game at six o'clock and i was fortunate enough to be at a league that had a really wonderful facility which included a press box and stadium lights and a pa system so there were double headers and if I played a six o'clock game, I would stick around in my uniform and go up to the press box. And every now and then the PA announcer would let me announce a batter or two. And eventually, you know, that experience uh, was parlayed into more regular work behind the microphone as a 12 year old. (laughs) And, uh, you know, thereafter, uh, you know, I had that, that itch that I continued to scratch and, you know, practiced in the basement of our house and went to games and silently inside my head to an audience of one, uh, tried to, describe what I was seeing uh, while being a fan in the stands and went to the University of Dayton uh, in in a broadcasting pursuit. I had uh, considered Syracuse University, which of course has an outstanding program, which you know firsthand, and it ultimately decided on the University of Dayton, which allowed me a wonderful opportunity because I had an internship for my last couple of years with the Cincinnati Reds, and as a member of their publicity office, had a chance to go down to an open booth at Riverfront Stadium, which you recall was a multi-sport stadium. So you have the baseball broadcast booth situated behind on plate, and then what would be the Bengals radio booth, or the visiting NFL booth uh, for the football season was located down the first baseline, and usually one of those booths was empty when the Reds were at home. So I would have my assignments in the press box, but my boss was kind enough to allow me to walk down my hall, take a tape recorder with me, and practice play-by-play for a couple of innings. Eventually... Uh, That led to an audition tape of sorts and an opportunity with the Rochester Red Wings. I got my foot in the door with the Red Wings because of that publicity experience and sports information experience as well at the University of Dayton. I was doing a lot of work that graduate assistants or even full-time sports information uh, directors would do while being a a college undergrad, and and it gave me an opportunity to, again, parlay some of those skills into a chance to get on the air. I was uh, pretty fluent in uh, publication design and, and was a good writer so the Red Wings needed a director of communication someone to handle P- PR and, and design their program and, and also help sell advertising and it just so happened that when I got that opportunity in Rochester, New York at the A baseball level there was also a need uh, my first year for someone to help Call play-by-play of home games. Josh Lewin was the regular announcer. And of course, he's gone on to wonderful things in his career. Currently, with the New York Mets, San Diego Chargers, and a lot of network assignments as well. Uh, but Josh was the primary announcer, and I was lucky enough that uh, someone who I had a, had in the decision heard my cassette from the Cincinnati Reds days as a publicity assistant <laughs> calling games in the 3rd quarter and said, "No." The Minor leagues is, is is a classroom, and and we're going to allow you to do a few innings, help Josh out, and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes, and you know do your other job, and and uh, and that other job involved a lot of different hats, of course. But as the director of communications, so to speak, I became a, a minor league baseball broadcaster at the Triple A level, and had a chance to, on my first assignment to call a home run by Mo Vaughn off Mike Messina. That's right, I called him Maurice Vaughn, <laughs> and uh, I invoked the Ralph Kiner home run call of going, going, gone, goodbye. Well, fast-forwarding, that led to an opportunity in Peoria, Illinois, to call minor league baseball, which led to another minor league baseball job on the eastern shore of Maryland with Delmarva Shorebirds. At that time, I also got my foot in the door at the U.S. Naval Academy. Interestingly enough, by then, Josh, Josh Lewin had moved on to Baltimore as a sports talk host uh, for WBAL radio and was doing Navy basketball. So I got this baseball job on Eastern Shore, Maryland, with a Class A affiliate of the then Expos and later the Orioles. Josh was working in Baltimore and calling Navy basketball, and he gets his big opportunity with the Chicago Cubs on WGN, which means Navy needs to fill in. I'm hired for that role. I broadcast, I think, seven or eight basketball games, and they asked me to come back the following year and do college football. And uh, I did that for 16 years at the Naval Academy. And throughout that period, took various minor league baseball play-by-play jobs from Delmarva to Frederick, eventually moved up to AAA. But along the way, I approached broadcasters that I admired and respected, uh, people in the business who were well-established, and asked them for their candid criticism. One of those individuals was kind enough uh, to not only like my tape and give me his honest feedback with a lot of encouragement accompanying it, but he took it to his bosses, and many years later, uh, those individuals played a role in the launch of the all-sports FM station in Boston, not eight five the Sports Hub. And I called Navy football for sixteen years, and at the time uh, that uh, you know my tenure was around the eleven or twelve year mark, I met my now wife, who happened to be from the Boston area. We got engaged. She was uh, offered a what amounted to a dream job for her in Boston, and so that led us back to New England, home for her and uh, gave me an opportunity to knock on doors, even while I was commuting between New England and the Mid-Atlantic. And uh, I mentioned the launch of 985, the sports hub, those prior contacts I had made because many, many years earlier, I had asked someone to listen to my work and and sought his honest feedback. And uh, those people helped me get a meeting with the program director in Boston. And I left a CD I left without any job offers. Didn't hear for them from them for a couple of years, and then while commuting back and forth between Boston and BWI and calling Navy games and uh, doing college basketball on a freelance basis, and at that time calling the Norfolk Tides at the AAA level of minor league baseball, out of the blue, late in the 2012 NFL regular season, I got an email from the executive producer of the Patriots Radio Network and. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, based on that meeting I had had several years earlier, uh, when I, again, knocked on a door, wanted to introduce myself, left a CD to introduce those individuals to my work, uh, that they wanted to hear more of it. And so, uh, eventually, you know, I sent another CD, and, and I was lucky enough to be hired. And uh, it's my very convoluted uh, description of, of what was a, a, a long and exhaustive path at times but worth every minute, worth every mile. I did hundreds and hundreds of innings of modern league baseball, play-by-play, a lot of uh, days when I walked down dirt roads in Kinston, North Carolina on the way to the Piggly Wiggly or the Subway uh, shop inside of a gas station when I wondered if I was ever going to get to where I wanted to go. Uh, But things could not have worked out any better in the last few years to call games for the New England Patriots.
0: I want to go back through that and break down a couple of things in particular. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, know that's a, I know that's a necessity, because I'm, I'm sure by now
1: your 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 audience is, uh, is scrambling, trying to make sense of it all.
0: No, I'm taking notes. Uh, you, you mentioned, and, and this is interesting, uh, the meeting that you had with the, the guys that would eventually form the Sports Hub, uh, people always talk about networking in this business, and what's interesting to me is basically the <laughs> definition of that word, from the standpoint of it's not so much reaching out and asking kind of what can you do for me now, but how much of it is just almost, and even like going back to just knowing Josh Lewin and having worked with him and that leads you to some stuff at Navy, just kind of some of that comes with age. And I mean, am I right in the assessment that like, as you get older in the business, you work with more people, you talk with more people. And if you just kind of make friends along the way, somewhere down the line, it could pay it back to you.
1: Well, I think a big distinction that you have to make, and it certainly centers on motivation, is that what's the purpose of reaching out to those people? Sure, there are individuals who are very good at self-promotion and networking. I never honestly approached anyone, first and foremost, of the idea of make this connection, and he can help you go from point A to point B, skipping over B and C and route. My motivation was always, how can I get better? Who do I respect and admire? And that was always a key for me. I, I wanted to approach guys, and I, and I contacted people that I really admired in the business, some of whom you, know, you would think on the surface would be inaccessible. And what I found is that a lot of the time, the, the best of broadcasters out there, the most successful and some of the biggest names, were actually far more accessible than some of the local announcers whose doors I knocked on uh, and, and never answered my re- requests Uh, turned out to be so I always wanted to get better and I always sought candid criticism and I was open to it and remain a harsh critic of myself and and remain interested in, in hearing what people who I respect have to say about the things they hear. How can I be a better broadcaster tomorrow than I was today? And so that was my primary motivation. I think the thing that I'm most proud of with Josh is that Josh had a chance to work with me on a regular basis. And he was really a prodigy. He was someone who at the age of 16 was calling professional basketball games in the minor leagues in Rochester, New York, and certainly was well on his way. To being a major league broadcaster, that was clear by the time he was in his early twenties. We were both in our early twenties at that time. But the thing I'm most proud of is I think Josh recognized the work habits that I was someone who really wanted to be good at what I was doing and trying to do, and therefore took an interest in trying to help me down the road when he had that opportunity. I had earned his trust long ago, and therefore he was going to recommend me to the people at the Naval Academy when he moved on. A piece of advice I had gotten many years uh, prior to that. Uh, was from a broadcaster who now calls the Chicago Bulls, Chuck Swirsky, who was so wonderful to me. And I can't say this enough. So many people in our business took time not only to listen to my work, but to spend time with me and to get to know me as a person and and try to help me. And and, I can't thank those individuals enough and, and hopefully try to pay it forward in my role today. But one of the things that Chuck told me when I was coming out of college is that the biggest mistake young people make is that they lose contact with people who are part of their network as they move on to the business. And it was so true in my case. I failed to heed those words once I really started to grind away and got into the business and started to establish a career for myself. And so I felt like I was on a treadmill for a long period of time. And I tried to reconnect with some of the people with whom I had lost touch. But the best way that I found to do that and also to welcome others into my network was to reach out again with, altruistic motivation to find a way to be better and ask them to, to point out the flaws of my delivery, of uh, the mistakes that they heard on the air, uh, to give me their honest, constructive criticism, and, and that's, to, the, to this day, my approach uh, still, when I talk to other people in our business, uh, some of our peers who do what we do, uh, how can I learn from them, just as you want to learn from me or the other guests that you have on this podcast?
0: I, I mean, I've probably... definitely rightly been accused of the same thing. How hard is or was that for you when you first started to say, I have to do a better job of staying in touch with people?
1: Well, there's certain characteristics of everyone's personality. Some are really gifted in, in terms of being able to do that and not impose on another person. Uh, another broadcaster uh, gave me a, a piece of advice along those lines, and he said, you know, you, you be persistent, but be politely persistent. And, and that fit my personality. I couldn't do what, what, what other people in, in our business that I've been around, or any business for that matter, uh, might be able to do. I had to be true to myself, and frankly, you know, I'm somebody who's along the way doubted. You know, uh, at times whether you know I could ultimately get to where I wanted to go, and oftentimes when I reached out to people seeking their honest criticism, you know they changed that attitude. They gave me the the, the encouragement and confidence that I could do it. Uh, so from from my standpoint, it, you know, wasn't easy, but uh, you know, again, I, I I I did it in a way that was true to my personality. I think, and 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 who I am, who I wanted to be. I didn't want to be someone who was a self promoter. I, I try to stay humble, and believe me there are reasons every day for the audience to keep me on, you know, in what I do on a week in week out basis for the patch. So, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm somebody that, uh, you know, still goes into the booth, wanted to prove myself, wanted to get better. And, and that's never changed.
0: Did being in AAA right out of, I mean, 1990, 91, 92, that, that time frame, did that help in some sense that it, it gave you a certain exposure Uh, to a certain level of baseball and certainly a certain level of broadcaster at a very young age. um, Does that maybe help in your development along the way? In some ways, I would say, yeah, you you certainly are watching guys
1: that are very close to the major leagues or have been in the major leagues with extensive experience at that level. You're on broadcasters or on the cusp of the big leagues themselves, Uh, even though I was really a long way from from being uh, where so many of uh, my counterparts in the IL were at that time. I, I think the more important thing, though, was taking a step back and, and doing it on an everyday basis. I've all long believed this, that you know, one of the greatest teachers in our profession, as well as in life, from, from my experience, for me personally, was going through that glide of a minor league baseball season, particularly at the lower levels where the travel, is, is arduous, uh, where the schedule is unrelenting, and, and, and calling that game, uh, you know, in the middle of a week after a long road trip on the bus, uh, when you have had little sleep, before a small crowd on a hot, humid day in the southeast or wherever it might have been, and, and, and finding a way to get through it. Some of the proudest moments I had in my broadcasting career have been some of my worst broadcasts because I knew the circumstances weren't weren't easy to. Overcome, uh, you know, and, and that's not to say that you know there were sacrifices in any way, but you know, I think you really learn. Okay, you you deal with technical glitches on a regular basis. You learn to to interview people and to talk to uh, individuals, especially at that stage, because you know it was really the early days of internet availability. Uh, when we're talking about the mid '90s, for example, when I was in Peoria, Illinois, so you really, you know, you had to go through the Baseball America magazines when they came, and 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 cut out clippings, and or buy local newspapers, and and, uh, and try to get as much information in that sense because you didn't have the online access, and you had to talk to a lot of people and learn about the backgrounds of players and coaches and managers, uh, oftentimes in the Class A ranks, especially back then. You know, these guys were completely unknown to you, so it gave me a lot of uh, great experience in terms of the legwork and the fundamentals of broadcasting, but also, like I said from the standpoint of you know, carrying on and trying to get the job done uh, and, and do the best that you can uh, under whatever the circumstances that I think have continued to help throughout my career.
0: I want to ask you about the the family side of things as well if that 's okay with you, um, because I know you, you moved to Boston in two thousand and eight but you were still very much the voice of the Norfolk Tides during that. You're still doing stuff with Navy during all of that. Um, and I'm not at that point in my life yet. I'm 29 and still single, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that uh, balance work life, home life. And, I mean, God willing, I get to that point in my life at some point in the near future. Uh, but how, did, how do you balance all that as a professional um, with commuting, traveling, and, and, I mean, honestly, just working somewhere different than your family?
1: Well, I think it starts with your partner. Uh, My wife, then girlfriend, to become fiancé, was very understanding and supportive of me and my dreams professionally. And, you know, we have been supportive of each other, and and I've tried to show my appreciation for that. Uh, In those down periods for me personally, when I can do things that... uh, you know, allow her an opportunity to devote more time to her work and career or other interests. Uh, and, and now, of course, we have uh, a family that we're raising. As you know, we have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. Yeah. And uh, you know, when I started doing the the commute between Boston and Baltimore, fortunately, we weren't in that situation. And it also caused some some. Soul searching uh, in, in terms of what I wanted to do and, and where I wanted to go in my broadcasting career, uh, especially after several years of knocking on doors. You know, initially, we go back to that first meeting with 985 the Sports Hub in Boston, CBS Radio, which I alluded to in, in your opening question. You know, at that point, there was a lot of optimism and excitement. After three, four years of, of commuting back and forth, you, you stop and ask yourself, "Can I continue to do this?" And, and, and thankfully for me. You know, my wife continued to support my pursuit. She believed in me, and I, you know, I will forever be indebted to her for that. And then, you know, she was also the reason why we were here in the first place. Uh, and now, that I look back on it, I wouldn't be the broadcaster for the New England Patriots in a very literal sense <laughs> if uh, it, it, not for her. So I owe everything to her. Uh, you know, this opportunity that I have. And when it comes to the kids, you know, I broadcast for the Patriots. I call the player I play on Sundays. The NFL affords one a, a very high level when it comes to the quality of life in, in terms of you know, the travel. It's relatively easy compared to the other sports. The schedule is not nearly as taxing, of course. I'm able to have dinner with the family uh, just about every day during the week. When you travel for a Sunday game, you're leaving on a Saturday afternoon, and oftentimes you're back uh, by early Sunday night. If the Patriots play in Buffalo at 1 o'clock on Sunday, there's a good chance I'm going to tuck my kids into bed that particular night. To this point, I haven't done a lot of uh, so-called extracurricular uh, broadcasting. I-, I no longer do the three seasons that overlap plus additional freelance assignments like I used to when I was single and, and early in our marriage, uh, just to try to help make ends meet. Yeah, I broadcast football. I do some work for the team on the website. So my schedule is is very light by comparison to many in our business, and I'm you know grateful for that. Because of the time it allows me to be around our kids and devote to the family. And like I said earlier, you know, there isn't a grind in football at least to me, that there might be in other sports, that there would seem to be in, in the major leagues, for example. Just knowing what it was like as a model league broadcaster, I have so much respect yeah. for the professional commitment that a major league baseball announcer makes for the start of spring training to the end of the postseason if this team gets that far. Even when you're home, you're not really home because you're at the ballpark uh, from you know, 3 in the afternoon until midnight in a lot of cases. Uh, in, in, in my situation, you know, I've got it pretty easy by comparison.
0: What were those days like when you doubted, um, and how do you how do you fight through that? Just as a as a professional, to keep saying, "I believe in myself." I'm getting reassurance from people that I'm doing the right things. I need to keep putting one foot in front of the other and hope that that day truly does come.
1: That's a great question, and I think that in my case, there were a couple of different things. You know, I kept a notebook, and I still have it, collecting articles on broadcasters that I admired. The notes that they sent me or emails eventually that I got from broadcasters with their critiques, I kept them, I highlighted passages, taped them into the notebook. And I would oftentimes go back to it simply for encouragement or confidence. Even if someone was very critical, there might have been a line or two where he said, well, I still think you could do this. And that was very important for me. You asked me as well about my situation at home in, in Maintaining a balance and and how important that was. Uh, And I think that's another thing that I really need to stress with relation to confidence and getting to this point. As a young announcer, when you're in the minor league, sometimes, at least in my case, I'll speak for myself, there was a tendency to want to have the perfect tape because you're not worried about delivering the perfect broadcast per se, you want to have the perfect audition tape for the next job. You're often worried about, well, where am I going to go next? How am I going to get that next job? And especially after the seasons begin to mount, when it's three years in Delmarva and then another three in Frederick, and you're in Norfolk longer than you'd hoped to be. Nothing against Norfolk. It's just that you wanted to get to the big leagues, of course, as a AAA announcer. Sure. And there was a point in time, I think, after getting married where I realized that, you better start enjoying the journey, but also it alleviated a lot of pressure that I was feeling at a younger age when I was always trying to get the perfect inning just to have it for an audition tape when I would beat myself up during a broadcast or immediately after a broadcast when mistakes would linger and I would dwell on them for days and days. And I think relaxing a bit, enjoying the journey, not necessarily taking a carefree attitude, By no means did I try to do that, but still taking what I did seriously, taking myself a lot less seriously, that's when I noticed significant improvement in my work. I felt like, in a way, I was liberated somewhat, and that helped me become a much better broadcaster. Maybe it's because it was just fulfillment in these other areas of my life that I had long sought. I was rewarded on personal levels, and that made the professional uh, gratification eventually come to fruition.
0: I appreciate your answering that'cause it's uh it's interesting, and I've kind of started to you toy with that stuff and you figure out the mental aspects and how that all bleeds together and being kind of happy in in a lot of different phases of life, which then helps in all of the other aspects of your life if that makes sense
1: um it makes perfect sense it's it's just like anybody else who has a job if if you're happy in your situation at home common sense suggests logic suggests is gonna make you a more productive worker. If you're happy in the workplace, again, you're likely to be more happy at home. And I found that for myself, it was there was definitely a correlation uh, almost immediately. And, you know, I, I think that you get so tied up into where you want to go at times, at least I did again, speaking for myself, that you forget to really savor the moment. You, mean you always hear people and read passages about taking time to appreciate the finer things, the little things in life, uh, taking time to smell the roses. Well, as a modeling broadcaster, I didn't do that enough. I didn't enjoy where I was enough. I didn't uh, make the most of opportunities personally uh, that I should have. And, and, you know, I'm very fortunate that I had an opportunity eventually to do that later rather than sooner, but still in time.
0: I want to get into uh, some of the particulars of of what you do now as well. Um, So first thing that comes to mind with the Patriots Uh, Greg Popovich, I think, gets the the toughest rap as far as interview subjects. But uh, how has working with the Patriots, uh, in particular, uh, Bill Belichick, I guess, in particular, uh, made you a better interviewer?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. I'll tell you one thing about Bill, when you ask a question in a press conference, and granted, I'm not asking the same kinds of questions that a lot of the others in press conferences are, because I'm not looking to report news per se, or at least I should say that I'm, I'm there with a different purpose in those press conferences. My job as a play-by-play announcer is not the same as the beat reporter, who's got to come up with some information on when Gronkowski is going to return from injury, or what move they might make in the upcoming draft, or through free agency, what players they potentially are going to re-sign or acquire from other teams. But that's not my role in those press conferences. I'm looking for some information. Number one, that makes me a more educated broadcaster about the game of football. About the National Football League, about the Patriots, their opponents. So my questions, again, uh, are, I would say, uh, you know, designed to, to learn about football more so than than to unearth some news. So from that standpoint, you, know, you take that into account. But it has made me more conscious of how I'm asking the question and exactly what words I'm going to use. Because one of the remarkable things about talking with bill belichick and i've been accorded uh so, some access outside of the press conferences in, in some of the interviews filling in on a radio interview or uh, on the weekly patriots television sh- shows but uh you know overall compared to a lot of other broadcasters around the league probably haven't had uh more access uh than than my peers in, in, or as much as they, they, and they enjoy with their particular coaches. But I think the one thing about with Bill is that he listens to every word in your question and he forces you, I think, to ask a well thought out researched question an informed question, something that indicates that you've done your homework, something that indicates you're not just flippantly asking something, um, He's really, uh, I I think, uh, a a guy that uh, helps you to raise the bar, so to speak, in that regard as as an announcer. Now, again, uh, you you hear, and I'm sure you see a lot of the clips that are on TV, and at the same time, uh, from my standpoint, in those press conferences, what most of the audience doesn't hear or see are those moments when you ask Bill one of those questions about Football strategy, or something related to the history of the game, or something even related, not necessarily to personnel, but the use of the personnel. And for ten, fifteen minutes, you are then taken from a seat in a press conference to a seat in a lecture hall, listening to a discourse from a professor. You know, on advanced football three hundred one. It, it really can be like that, especially you know on Fridays during the season when the play. Game plan uh, is, is put to bed, and, and, and Belichick's a little more relaxed. But uh, it's been a fascinating experience and, and a very important one, I think, for me to go through in and, and helping me to be a better broadcaster.
0: I've heard, uh, obviously, a, a bunch of your work, because we've known each other for several years now, but I think probably most people know you uh, outside of New England by the, the Malcolm Butler call, probably first and foremost. Okay. Uh, and there was a quote that I found that you had in an article uh, completely, <laughs> completely unrelated. But it was uh, the best calls are born from the emotion of the moment, um, and I just kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about your approach. And I, I'm 29 and clearly not there yet, so I feel like if I was in that situation, I probably would have lost my head a li- little bit. Uh, how do you, how do you get yourself into a situation where that happens, and in your head, I'm sure you're going bonkers, but you're able to coherently and. Uh, very clearly describe what's just happened do it with a clear head a clear voice and still be able to use your instrument as such and not just completely lose it for lack of a better word
1: well i think a couple of different things about that experience number one and it goes back to again the roots and the path to get to that point you may be calling western michigan and ball state on a saturday and i may be calling the patriots and the denver broncos or the patriots I'm the Seattle Seahawks, as it were, in Super Bowl Forty Nine, you know, on a Sunday in February. But we're both trying to accomplish the same thing. That game between Ball State and a MAC rival is every bit as important to you and your audience as the game I'm calling. Now, it may not have the same national or even international ramifications of the Super Bowl, but it's still, in that context, when you're calling it, every bit as important to you as the game I'm calling. And I thought back before the Super Bowl to all those different experiences in my broadcasting career. I always approached those assignments, wherever it was, as if they were like network or big league broadcast opportunities. And I put a lot of pressure on myself in those moments. And so I think that helped me relax a little bit when the Super Bowl came around and I I was at the mic for that game because... I thought to myself, you know, when I called Navy versus Notre Dame in 2007 and Navy ended a 43-game series losing streak in triple overtime at that moment, and in the emotion of that moment, it was every bit as important to to me and and the audience as anything I would call a Super Bowl. And I took that approach, and I think it helped me manage emotions and also the nervousness of calling a Super Bowl, especially as the game waned on. At the same time, your instincts take over as a broadcaster. All those innings of play-by-play, all those quarters and series of play-by-play prepare you for the next opportunity. And I think that experience helped me focus on the nuts and bolts. The interesting thing about the Butler call, too, is that a couple of plays prior to that, of course, Jermaine Curse makes this incredible acrobatic catch-off at deflection involving Malcolm Butler. Shades of David Tyree in the same stadium. In Super Bowl Forty Two, and I was a bit unnerved on that particular call because number one, obviously the Seahawks are now in position where they going to likely win the game. But you know, from my standpoint, I initially in Butler knocked the ball with it. it was incomplete, and so I was a little upset at myself for, for screwing it up. And, and, you, and it, you're constantly reminding yourself in, in big situations: get the nuts and bolts right, set the formation, describe what you see, and I and I tried my best to do that. The thing about the, the Wilson pass as well, it was so quick. And the ball disappeared for a split second into the crowd. And I just called it the way I saw or tried to call it the way I think I saw it. And the emotion took over in that moment. And it's funny as well, Joel, because our producer was hugging me. As I was trying to complete the call, one of the. <laughs> so I was in a bear hug with our producer, Mark Capello, as I was trying to say, and the Patriots have possession, you know, at the one. And so I'm not particularly crazy about that call altogether. I still cringe a little bit, but a lot of people tell me, you know, that, I, that at least as far as the emotion was concerned, that I mirrored, I, I, I nailed it. I mirrored the emotions they were feeling in that moment because, again, you're preparing yourself for the Seahawks. Score and, and go ahead with very little time remaining for the Patriots. And the next thing you know, Malcolm Butler comes out of seemingly nowhere, literally and, and metaphorically, and, and saves the Super Bowl for the Pats. And, and you know, it, it was a wild scene at the end of that game. There was a bit of a, a melee after a kneel down by the Pats, um, and Seattle jumped offside, a lot of pushing and shoving before the final snaps. So there was a long delay between the interception as well and the final snap and kneel down by Tom Brady, and that gave me an opportunity to kind of collect my thoughts for the walk-off commentary uh, of, you know, the Patriots are on to a celebration, picking up on the theme that Belichick had centered very early in the year when he repeated over and over again a lot of Cincinnati and that a fourth Lombardi trophy was coming to one Patriot place.
0: Can you take me inside the nitty-gritty of kind of, what you're doing when you're on the air as well, uh, when it's play set up, and uh, what are you looking for? Uh, you've got four seconds sometimes. Analyst goes maybe a little bit long. What's important to you? I, I need to get these things out. Just kind of walk me inside the gears that are churning in your head when you're on the air.
1: Well, Ben Scully has said this over and over again in radio. You've got a blank canvas, and, and you're painting the picture. And that's the big difference between radio and TV. As Scully has said as well. On I mean, TV, you're- writing the captions, the director controls the the, the medium, so to speak. And so I've always taken that approach, or at least that philosophy, into the booth as well, calling radio. And it's one of the reasons why I really love radio play-by-play. You get to paint what you see. You get to describe what you see. And I find it extremely important in calling the play after the snap to set up what's happening... Where people are, who's out there, in what position before the snap? I often find that a lot of the mistakes I call, the mistakes that uh, I make when trying to call a play, occur as a direct result of you know, not properly setting up the formation, the down and distance, and so forth. It's, so the big things, though, the nuts and bolts.
0: How so is you, that? You can't
1: say the, you, can't, you can't say the score enough. You know, down and distance. Where is the ball? What yard line? How much time is left? Is it on the right hash mark or the left hash mark? Near or far? Short side of the field or the wide side of the field? Are they in trips? Bunch left? Are they spread out? Is it an empty backfield? Is Brady detached from centers at the shotgun? Are the Broncos in a pistol? You know, Are they showing blitz? Are they man-to-man? Uh, or are they uh, in nickel? Packaged defensively? All those different things. So as soon as my analyst, my partner Scott Zolak, uh, completes his thought. And Scott is a very emotional announcer, and at the same time, uh, in, in being a very passionate uh, patriot of the past, somebody who was a quarterback for the Pats and been a part of this organization and this marketplace for a long time, and at the same time, you know, sees the game with the eyes of a quarterback and, and does a great job in analyzing things. You know, his style is, is very different than his predecessor, Gino Capoletti, who was more staid and subdued and in my case, with Zoe, I think we really complement each other a great deal. You know, he's powerful, he's uh, rambunctious, uh, somewhat bombastic on the air, but does a great job of analyzing. So I try to give him as much space as possible. Whatever he needs to say, I try to allow him that opportunity. And He's very cognizant as well of what I have to do in setting up the next place. So he might go longer than than, than some analysts do, but he still affords me enough time to try to say, down, the distance, how much time is left? You know, what's the score? Where's the ball? Okay, who's out there in personnel? And I and I try to identify them. You know, Edelman, you know, uh, in the left slot, Rakowski flexed out, wide left. You know, tight end Williams on the right wing, Lewis in the backfield, you know, Brady under center. Um, the Linebacker who's moving up, showing blitz, or the safety who, who looks like he's going to come on a blitz, things of that nature, and, and then the ball snapped, and, and then you, you follow the ball. Uh, you know, Ted Robinson, a longtime broadcaster, told me one time that you know he got a great piece of advice early in his career: never take your eyes off the ball. It's it's a simple philosophy, but you know, I figure if it serves a guy like that as well as it has, then you know, it, it, it's certainly a great piece of advice to keep in mind in my own case.
0: How about use of your analyst? I, you mentioned working with Scott a little bit and uh, from the standpoint of how much you say before you get it to him, because um, I've gotten a critique before that sometimes I'll say too much from the standpoint of you know Jordan Williams ran a crossing route it you know I, I, like i where do you draw the line between description and analysis that you leave to to your analyst?
1: Well, first and foremost, I'll never see the game the way Zoe does. Again, he played quarterback in the National Football League for nearly a decade. He sees the game with the naked eye better than a lot of analysts on television do with the aid of replay. It's pretty uncanny. And I try not to delve into his world uh, too often. Uh, In my case, my job is to call the play. Again, as I said earlier, set the stage for the play. Stick with the nuts and bolts if you can. And and, and, uh, frankly, there are times when that's a real challenge, especially when the Patriots go up-tempo. And, and operate out of a no huddle. So I've got enough to worry about on my play. There are times, certainly, when I'll say, oh, "That's a great throw away. What a, what a catch! Or a great play. Or you know, so and so did a great job of recognizing this or that. Things along those lines." But but it's got to be very succinct. And I've got to make sure that I give Zoe the time that he needs to break that play down. There are also times where you know, we may revisit a previous play where he didn't have a, a, an ample opportunity because of that hurry up to describe what happened and tell us why it happened. There are times when he may say something, and I'm going to try to interject to substantiate what he said, or maybe even challenge it with a note or a statistic, something that I have on my charts based on the research that I've done. That has to be a situation where you know, there's a dead ball or the team is huddling that allows you to have that time to have a little bit of back and forth. But, uh yeah, I think the key between Zoe and I is that one we generally like working with each other. Uh, in fact, I'd say we all, we, 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 we do on, a, you know, every day, uh, every minute basis. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. He's a great guy. And we personally like each other. And I think that helped develop a chemistry almost right away in the broadcast booth. But, you know, the key for me in our case is to allow him to be him. You know, I, I knew when I got this job that he was going to be the star of the broadcast. And that's fine with me. He is the star. He's a big personality in the Boston marketplace. And, uh, you know, my job is to compliment him and help paint the picture and then for him to kind of shade here and there, but also you know, bring the emotion and the energy that is part of who he is to the broadcast.
0: Last thing, I'll leave you on this note because I've taken more of your time than I than I said I would already. So uh, I'll wrap it up with you. But um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs>
1: I think I've taken more of your time. No, before, no, no, no. Your audience can tell. No, you're fine. I'm, no, I'm very long This is
0: great. Um, how do you prep when you sit down? Uh, when do you sit down? I mean, like what? What is your week? Uh, say it's game. I don't know week three of the season. You just played on Sunday. You got home Sunday night. You tucked your kids in. Uh, it's now <laughs> Sunday night. How does your week begin?
1: Well, in this case, week three for the Patriots will be uh, involving a Thursday night game, so that's a little bit shorter. Okay, so, week. Uh, let's <laughs> that's, not a, let's, a typical let's, week in the NFL. Let's not so let's, pick week four just, or five. So, let's go to like six. <laughs> that sounds good to me, yeah. especially because Tom Brady yeah. presumably will be the quarterback <laughs> in week six. Uh, you know, it, 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 you you start with the game that was just played. You go to the press conferences if you can, or into the locker room, maybe hear some of the interviews. You scan the box score. You try to digest as much of it as you can. You go back through your own recollection and, and pick out significant moments, turning points, listen to the post-game analysis, either on our station and or the networks, et cetera. Uh, get the kids to bed, hopefully, in time to enjoy most of the Sunday night game at that point in time. Just get on the computer, start to read the game stories that are going online uh, from both the Patriots game as well as the next opponent. Uh, begin collecting the information that I'm going to need in the week ahead to build my spotter charts and and to, to fill in all of my little boxes with the various biographical notes and stats on the players on each team's depth chart. So that begins Sunday. And the following days include teleconferences with Belichick on Monday and Tuesday, the coordinators on Tuesday as well, going to the open locker room session on Monday uh, try to pick the brains of, of whatever players are available and, and, and collect some notes and nuggets there. Starting to really dig into the next week's opponent, whether that's watching the television broadcast of their previous game or two, and I often spend a lot of time on the iPad doing that. I tend to watch the TV broadcast, in my case more than the coaches, one, because often I, I pick up things from the, the television analysts that might spark, a thought or an idea or even a question to dive into again in preparation for that next game and an example would be for uh for the uh, super bowl in-, in 2014 the seahawks had played the packers in the nfc championship there was a point in that game where troy aikman had noted in their production meeting with aaron Rodgers, he had talked about one spot of the seahawks defense that he thought was vulnerable and so is the super bowl Took shape, and the Patriots were enjoying a lot of success by taking advantage of that same vulnerability. I was able to relate what Rodgers had done with what Brady. And the Patriots were doing at that point in the game because I had watched the television broadcast over and over again in the NFC Championship, just as an example. So you, you do you know, you do a lot of your video work early in the week as well as just collecting as much information as possible. And honestly, Joel, one of the challenges in the NFL is that there's so much information; it's easy to get overwhelmed. Yeah. And you know, as the week goes on, you know, you continue to come to the press conferences. Coach and quarterback on Wednesday, in the case of the Patriots, the open locker room sessions were for 45 minutes. You know, to have Adam guys, players are at the lockers. Uh, Again, sometimes there's a lot of players. But other times, depending on how the previous Sunday went, there might only be a handful of players. But getting as much out of that as you can, uh, while at the same time doing other responsibilities that I have uh, with the aforementioned Patriots website job. So as the week goes on, you build your spider boards on the computer, print them out, tape them up watch more video toward the end of the week, listen to the analysis of, the, of people you, 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 trust, read different things, uh, like the, you know, across the wire around the internet, around the league, try to have a knowledge of the league as a whole. But of course you really bear down and immerse yourself in the next game that you have to call. And then uh, try to have a, a good night's rest for sure. Uh, the night before the game and, uh, you know, then uh, go through your steps of preparation on game day. In my case, I'll, I'll take out the highlighters, try to find the, the quiet spot, put the iPad on again, thanks to the NFL Rewind app or Game Pass app. You'll put the opponent on and, and just kind of look at the, the TV in my chart. Look at the TV in my chart. I like different notes with each player. So, again, I can familiarize myself with who they are without relying on checking the number. When I watch a play, I see you know, I see play on television – And I I like to pick up certain characteristics of players, and and it can quickly relay okay, that's so and so. That's the other guy. You know, that's him over there who made that play. And by the time I call the game, you know, I I can look out on the field, and I don't necessarily need to know oh, that's number 99. That's so and so. That's number 56. That's so and so. I've watched them on video just before that. I've refreshed. My memory of that opponent. I've looked at my chart. I've highlighted some of the important stats and other fresh in my mind, and and allow for easier recall when I when I get in the booth and call the game.
0: I think one of the amazing things there is like I, the the information on on this level is very manageable. But like we'll play Texas A and M, and I'm always of the ilk that I try to read and watch everything. And it was a disaster last year. Like I was up until like <laughs> two in the morning every day of the week. I was like, when does it end? Uh, so I can't even imagine what it's like at, at that level.
1: It's you know it's important too. I mean, in, in, I've heard broadcasters say this for for years. It's it's not only collecting the information, but knowing when and how to use it. Yeah. You know, hopefully, I'm someone who's always taken great pride in preparation. I'm, it's it's not laborious. I, I love to do it, and it's always been something. Maybe going back to that sports information or media relations background that I had at the very start of my professional career, that you know I've I've been experienced in, and, and like I said earlier, have enjoyed a great deal. So I probably over-prepare in a lot of respects, but hopefully I underuse a lot of that information. And, and, and thankfully, I'm, I'm with a team that you know, plays a lot of exciting games and, and wins a lot of games. And, and therefore, you, know, you you rarely find yourself in a situation where you try to fill a lot of time in a blowout. Even if the Patriots are ahead by a resounding margin, well, maybe there might be a little more banter between Zoe and I. Uh, and own me. And, uh, you know, in, in a case of, you know, the Miley baseball season, for example, relating my past to the present, you know, there were a lot of times when I really had to force things out of the air because I just had to fill as much time as possible You're working by yourself for nine innings in a three-and-a-half-hour walkabout. <laughs> well, I don't have to do that calling the Patriots, and it's very important to know when information is pertinent and how to relay that information. Somebody gave me a piece of advice, a broadcaster that you know, I've admired for a long time, he said, that yeah, you, you've got to make sure you give those those nuggets, that information in small morsels, so the audience can ab- digest it and absorb it." And that was Gary Cohen, the outstanding broadcaster for the New York Mets, and an early mentor, and and, and the guy that I had er- earlier referenced uh, uh, when I said that I'd given a cassette to someone whose willingness and, and uh, you know help and encouragement ultimately helped open the door for me with, with people that would be involved in the decision to hire the next Patriots announcer for CBS radio in Boston. But you know, again, that was born out of reaching out to someone simply to the motivation of how can I get better at this? I, I, I love what you do. I want to do what you do where you do it. How can I ultimately get to that point? And, and that was back in 2000, 2001. And little did I know then that, In 2013, you know, finally, that early conversation or two would lead to the opportunity of a lifetime.
0: Bob, where can people find you? Um, I mean, obviously, for live games, uh, there's all the NFL outlets, but uh, the Patriots website, and I I guess you do some stuff with the hub as well. Uh, How can people uh, hear Bob Soce?
1: Uh, Patriots.com, as far as the website goes for the team, of course. uh, 985, the sports hub, I believe it is... uh, boston.cbslocal.com, and uh, 95, uh, as well, streams you know through radio.com and uh, i2radio. And uh, on Twitter, it's at Bob Sosi and that's S-O-C-C-I.
0: That is the voice of the New England Patriots, Bob Sosi, joining us here on Play by Playcast. Uh, many thanks, as always, to Bob for doing this. Uh, by far the longest interview we've had on Play by Playcast. The actual audio of that was over an hour Uh, I know we cut it down to 48 minutes. I didn't do a whole lot of chopping there. You got pretty much all of it. But uh, many thanks and more than generous with his time. A lot of topics covered there. I know we dove into prep and we dove into the mechanics of setting up plays and voice control and uh, family life and and trying to be an actual human being uh, sometimes in this industry and balancing all those different things. Uh, Again, one of my favorite conversations that we've had uh, to this point here on Play by Playcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, let us know. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Godet or use the hashtag PXPCast and uh, share your comments, questions, concerns. If you like the podcast, you can rate it on iTunes. That is always helpful and appreciated. Uh, I don't know if you can rate it on Stitcher. I'm assuming you can. I've just never looked into it. But if you're listening on Stitcher, uh, feel free to, to, to rate us on Stitcher or, or figure that one out. Yeah, Uh, If you uh, have not subscribed, also subscribe. If you just download the podcast every week, great. But click subscribe. That helps us out too. Uh, Let's iTunes know that people are listening, which is always good for a couple parties involved. Uh, Anyway, more football coming up next week. More NFL football and actually college football coming up on next week's podcast. I kind of gave away maybe who it is next week, NFL and college football. Actually, a broad swath of people, but it kind of narrows it down a little bit. Uh, I think you'll enjoy next week's guest uh, as much as you did. Uh, hopefully, Bob Sose here today as well. The play of the music, though, that's my cue to get up on out of here. We will talk to you next week here on Play-By-Playcast. Happy fall training camps to all you football voices out there. And uh, best of luck in your football preparations. Till next week, see you. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.